Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events. Welcome to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Here, we settle into the murky, tangled, and freaking hard parts of life to restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do, and the world around us. If we can't fix what's wrong, then our grandchildren inherit it. In order to fix what's wrong, we have to talk about it. And we can't move that conversation forward if we're not willing to be real about where we are now. We have to push on the edges of what it means to connect. Otherwise, nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, and I'm here to guide you through a series of radically honest conversations about what it means to be truly human in all of its messy, beautiful, hilarious, and heartbreaking glory. In our collective effort of looking inward, we're starting to do the outward work of reconnecting the world. While these discussions will guide you into the connectfulness practice, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. If something in this episode touches you, reach out. That's where you initiate the ripple that restores relationships. You can learn more about my connectfulness counseling practice and online workshops at connectfulness.com. So welcome back, everybody. I'm here today with a super, super, super special guest. I'm here with Al Hoberman. Al is a creative arts therapist, the editor of my podcast, and a friend. And Al is going to be turning the tables around a little bit today and actually interviewing me. Hi, Al. Hey, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. I'm so so glad you're here. Yeah, I know. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So you've been like my behind the scenes person for a while on both podcasts, on the Connectfulness Practice and on the Why Does My Partner. And uh, we were thinking, let's turn things around a little bit today. Yeah. And, you know, often when I'm working on these episodes, I'm putting myself in the perspective of the listener. Yeah. You know, what questions yeah. come up for me or what feelings, right? And so uh, I think rather than a super traditional interview, it might be really fun to just open up some of yeah. those questions and, you know, see what threads we end up pulling on from there. I'm super excited to do that. Yeah. When we first started talking about it, I was like, oh, maybe I'll do a solo show. Oh, wait, hold on. I don't really like just talking to myself. I feel like I get lost in these like trains and I need someone to help me make this conversation coherent. And mm-hmm. Al, I'm so excited to to dive into this with you. So, yay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's see. So why don't you start by telling us a little uh-huh. bit about like, like what uh, is this work that I do? Yeah, exactly. What is this work that you do, Rebecca? Who are yeah. you? Yeah. So I think, I think really all of my work is grounded in relationships with this, uh, the context being a really important part, because I think one of the problems that we struggle with today is that our relationships are often so decontextualized. 
right? Like we, we think if I'm in a relationship with this person as an adult, like why, like it should be a certain way, but we forget that we have all learned how to be in relationships through being in relationships with many other people before. Yeah. Right. And so what I find, especially when I work with, with partners, what I really find is that the relationships that we've all experienced growing up are the ones that set a template for how we do relationships as adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we play out the issues that we haven't really resolved in our adult relationships. We're still looking for resolution, but now we're looking for it with our partners instead of our caregivers. And here's the craziest part. You ready for this? It's a okay. little hard to swallow. The stuff that often I find we play out the most is the stuff that we have absolutely no context for, the stuff we really don't understand, the stuff that mm. might be generational. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you're right. When you say it's hard to swallow, it's like, it's not a comfortable thing to think about that we're, that I might be playing something out. It's like, I feel out of control. Mm-hmm. I feel uh, like, like, how do I even get out of this cycle? Like, there's almost a, a, a initial just like gut feeling of despair when I yeah. hear you say that. Right? Yeah. And, and Which, there's good news. There's really yeah. good news. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Your nervous system is actually the part that's in control. Yeah. Right? But it's like yeah. there's the conscious part and there's the unconscious part. And so my feeling is that what we're called to do in these moments when we feel this out of control, especially in our relationships, is actually like get to know ourselves. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. That's like the most primitive, most primal relationship there is. If we can turn around and do the U-turn and get to know ourselves, we can actually gain a lot of control over how our relationships go. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Even the way you say it, it's like, there's this smile on your face. This is sort of like opening up, like, I'm, I'm excited to learn more about myself. This is an opportunity for growth. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get something out of this, which. Yeah, I'm going to benefit yeah. from doing this work. Yeah. Right. Like when yeah. I turn around and I do the, you know, there's grief in there. There's, there's, it's hard. It's not all like, you know, rainbows yeah. and butterflies, but when I turn around and I do the work of looking inwards, yeah, I get to experience the rewards of that. I get to feel known by me. Right. I think that's so huge. Cause I'm sure this must be for you too. I know for me, a lot of my, the people that I work with come in with a lot of fear like come in with a lot of discomfort like like i on the one hand i do want to work on this thing this this thing that 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 doesn't feel good in my life but on the other hand maybe i'm kind of afraid of what i'm going to find out or yeah. i don't know how this is going to go or or maybe i won't like what i find and like I can i pause I, us yeah. right there go ahead well because like the first thing i'm feeling into when i when i hear you um sharing this kind of template, this constellation of how people Mm -hmm. come in. Yeah. The first part that I'm kind of noticing in my body is like, oh gosh, that's so resonant. Mm. Right. How many of us haven't had that experience? How many of us haven't been afraid in that way? And, and then I look at it from the perspective of why, not why as like a judgment, but why? Cause I actually don't really love the question. Why? I think it sets us up to be defensive. Um, 
but but the why in terms of how did we get here? How did we get to this place where when I think about knowing myself, I get so scared? And here's what I think many of us will find in the answer. If we actually go down that tunnel of exploring it, I think what many people will find is nobody has ever really taken the time to get to know me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which implicitly must mean that maybe I'm not worth knowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's that feel like when it lands? I think about what happens when we're alone, mm-hmm. when we feel alone. And for me, there's this image of kind of, of, of like a vast emptiness, right? Where scary things can come out of the shadows or maybe are lurking in the dark. And I don't like, you know, when, I, when I'm alone in a space, I don't have anything to kind of, you know, to bounce push back off on. Of, to push I'm, back I'm, on. I'm watching your hands, yeah. Right, because it's uh-huh. a feeling that my hands, my body knows way more than any like verbal part of my brain. But yeah, like we know our inner world by experiencing it in relationship to someone else, right? Like, yes, yeah. If I haven't been known, if I haven't, if I haven't had that experience, like you said, of having someone take the time, then it's like I have no shape. I have no. Uh form or function in my internal world. And you know where that takes me? And this might be a little bit like esoteric, a little bit, whatever, but um, it takes me into the spiritual. Yeah. Because, you know, when I think about that unknown, like the great unknown, all the things that I can't really ever know. And I think about, there's this great quote from um, Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes um, and towards the end of women who run with the wolves, she's actually talking about aloneness. And one of the things she says is that the etymology of the word alone is actually used to mean all one, Mm. right? So when we're talking Mm. about loneliness versus aloneness, we're actually talking about kind of different things and that there's something really sacred and spiritual about getting to the place where we can be alone with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That that that's actually like I can be in the in the depth of who I am of not knowing, yeah. and I can just be with that. Right. Yeah. You know that brings me to a question which I I was hoping we would get to because, you know, it's one that is so common among the people that I work with, and though you know, even though I don't do couples therapy per se, right? Every one of my clients is has relationships mm-hmm. in their lives, right? Whether it's romantic or family or professional right. or, yeah. So so the question maybe simply is just, am I, how do I know if I'm ready for a relationship? Mm. Like, do I have to learn how to be alone before I can be with others? Yeah. And if I am in a relationship, you know, how can I hope to make that work if I don't feel like I'm, I'm fixed right? yet? If Isn't I'm that such the human question? It so is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and yet we do it. Yeah. Like we look around and we do it. And and he, I think I think my answer is actually like crazy simple. Yeah. You ready for it? Yes. We lean into the awkwardness. Hmm. Right? Like yeah. like awkwardness, I think, is a gateway towards authenticity. Awkwardness helps us let go of the need to be perfect. Awkwardness helps us let go of the agenda that I need to be 
just right before yeah. I get into relationship, right? So like I lean into the awkwardness. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, maybe I'm weird, but well, I know I am. And, and right. Like that awkwardness invites all of the growth and all of the healing because it only comes when, when we actually show up, we have to show up for the relationship awkwardly, not knowing how to do it right and bump up against each other to learn where we are. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, can you, can you illustrate that for us? Give us like maybe a picture of. I don't know, some, some ways to even imagine doing that. Like, oh gosh. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, well, have you ever like been in a relationship with anybody? It mm-hmm. could be a parent, a sibling, a friend, a colleague, a lover, like anybody. Yeah. And something just doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're in that kind of space and something just doesn't feel right, what's your go-to? What do you do? And this is like for everybody listening, like, what is it that you do, right? Like, do you kind of smile and bear it and just go along with it? Right. Mm-hmm. Do you walk on eggshells? Do you try to accommodate? Do you speak up and say, that doesn't feel so good to me. Can you we try it differently? Yeah. Right. Right. Like, so there's so many, do you get angry? Right. Like mm-hmm. there's, do you try to control the situation? Like, what is it that you do? How do you show up? And are there threads in different, are different relationships different? Like, would you be different with a lover than you are with a colleague? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, or are there, are there threads that are the same throughout? Because right. this is how we learn about ourselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Here's something that I've learned about myself recently. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in the three-year somatic experiencing training program. Yeah. I just finished my second year. And um, one of the big learnings I've had is how much when I smile, I'm, I am actually doing a lot of social bracing, oh. right? Like there's, there's something, it's like, there's this implicit message that I've grown up with that lives inside of my system that says, it's my job somehow mm-hmm. to not upset other people, right? And to soften things for them. And so there's often a little smile on my face especially um especially if i'm talking about myself right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's happening a little right now you could probably right. see it i i do <laughs> i do and and i'm noticing uh-huh. the smile on my face too right. and, and checking in with how much of that is going on for me too and thinking about how like some of those qualities are also what make you such a great therapist. Uh-huh. Right? That is, you have this amazing ability to make people feel comfortable or help people feel comfortable. And I think it's great when it's conscious. Yeah. Yeah, right? exactly. Right? And there are times where a lot of it kind of is like, um, I was in the SE training and I was doing a practice session with some with some other learners and I was in the role, we, we go into these roles where someone is a practitioner and someone is an experiencer. Mm. And I was in an experiencer role and I was realizing like, oh, I have, it's like, I get, my experience gets to be kind of the thing that comes up here. Yeah. And I'm having a moment where I'm actually doing a lot more bracing. I'm really aware of all the bracing that I'm doing because I know how hard this, this topic is. And what I might actually, the content that I might be bringing up, 
I don't want to overwhelm the other people in the room. And so I'm bracing to avoid overwhelming them. Yeah. Right. Um, As a therapist, I'm not using my content. Right. Right. And so there's, there's something different about the quality of that, but, but you're right. Like there's, there's something about this. And I think it shows up in so many different ways. Like um, in my relationship, my dear husband has this thing he does where he sort of bites his lip. Mm. Right. And (laughs) I grew up in a home where if somebody bit their lip, a certain parent of mine, it Mm -hmm. meant something bad was about to happen and I should brace because dot, dot, dot. And when I would watch my husband then biting his lip, I made it all about me. And there was then some, there was a new agenda. I had to fix something until this one day. And folks probably have heard me share the story, but until this one day, when I turned around and I looked at him and he was doing a Sudoku puzzle. And that's why he was biting his lip. I've heard that story. (laughs) Right? Like it is biting his lip had actually nothing to do with me, but I was interpreting it because of my old stories as having something to do with me. And in the past, we'd get into a tumble over it, but really they were two different stories. Yeah. And I'll bet that you were both feeling really attacked in that moment. In the old, in the right. old stories, in the old, right? Yeah. In yeah. the old versions, once, once I looked over and I was like, oh, he's doing a crossword puzzle, it's Noku. I was like, oh, okay, wait, hold on, Rebecca. <laughs> like you take care of you and you can like tell him the story at a later time when it's kind of funny, but really like there's two different things happening here. He's engrossed in a puzzle yeah. and you're in an old reactive moment and you can, you, uh, Rebecca can take mm-hmm. care of that reaction. Right. And bring it to him differently. Yeah. I think it's it's a testament to the work you've done, noticing those patterns, that you were able to realize what was going on in the moment. Yeah. Well, that right? is the work, right? Yeah. Like for all of us, yeah. for, for um, and not just for therapists who do this work every day, but like for all of us in relationship, this is the work. It's getting to know what are those patterns and how are they showing up and influencing my current day relationships. What's the old stuff that like, um, you know, as, as Jules talks about, as, as Jules Shore talks about, there's this um, yeah. implicit C, there's these historic history colored glasses that we wear all the time, right? Every moment of every day is colored by that. And so all of those old knowings, everything that has shaped us. And, and here's the craziest part about it. We encode, get like, wait and like hear these numbers. We encode 11 million bits of sensory information per second perceptually. That's implicit knowledge. 11 million bits of information, sensory information per second. But at the same time that we're doing that, we're encoding 6 to 50 bits of information consciously. Whoa. 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 That implicit C is big. It is so big. And it's like, I think, thank God for the perception filter. Because I could never hope to take in that much consciously. Right. I'm so glad, actually, that I have these parts of my brain that take care of it without me having to steer that ship. Right. And this is why like 
how we tune in to all of these embodied experiences that take up space inside of us yeah. is, is so key. And there are so many different ways to do it. We can do it somatically. We could do it musically or creatively, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what your work is all about, mm-hmm. right? Because there yeah. aren't often words for all of it. Yes, exactly. Right? It lives outside of that realm. Yeah. In, in one way of thinking about it, noticing the patterns is retraining yourself to take in new things consciously, explicitly, yeah. and let some things fade into the implicit in a way. Like, I don't actually have to take care of that right now. I don't, because it's not about me, right? And like, and I know that not just because I recognize this feeling in my body and I know that it's part of a familiar pattern, but also because now that I know that, I can start to slow myself down enough to take in a little more of the world around me and then maybe pick up on some clues that like, that I'm okay right now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And well, like I'm thinking back to the, the Sudoku puzzle and historically I would have watched him bite his lip and I would have started with something that sounded like, what's the matter? Mm. And he would have said something like, what do you mean? What's the matter? Why does something have to be the matter? And I'd say something like, well, you're biting your lip. And he'd say something like, well, why does that need to be about you? And we'd get into a tumble. Yeah. Right? Because I'd be looking for what's the thing that I can fix. I know something's the matter. <laughs> and the particular time that I'm talking about, I remember really clearly that I sat there and like I remember putting my hand on my heart. Mm. And just having a like soft soothing moment with myself. Oh, Rebecca. And then he was sitting next to me on the couch. And I leaned my body towards his, and he leaned his body towards me. Mm-hmm. And then there were all these little moments of nonverbal communication happening that were reinforcing for me, this isn't about you. Yeah. I'm safe. I'm okay mm-hmm. right now. I'm safe. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and that's the other piece is that, you know, we know that we are constantly scanning the world. Yeah. Scanning the world within us, scanning the world around us for signs of, am I safe or am I not safe? Am I safe or am I not mm-hmm. safe? So yeah. the biting of the lip for me was one of those, I'm not safe moments. I need right. to do something, all right? I'm going into fight, flight, fix. I was going into fix. And <clears throat> in order to get ourselves out of those places, if we're scanning the world, we're scanning it at a rate of four to five times per second to check in if I'm safe or not. But to get us out of that place, we actually need to pause for like 15 to 20 seconds and go, oh, oh, take a look at what's happening here. Hold on a minute. Wait, let's look at this, right? So when I put my hand on my heart, when I leaned my body towards his, like those were the moments that helped reinforce like, oh, we're actually okay. Yeah. Take a look at what, take a look at all that information. Like there's a lot of sensory stuff to pick up on right now. It's saying we're okay. Right. So like even as i listen to you tell that story i'm mm-hmm. taking in the tonal change in your voice you know the way that you let that big release of air That's right. as you yeah as you as you told it, it your voice just got warmer in this way and a little softer and like when we talk about nonverbal cues it's like i'm taking in the music of your voice just as much as the words that you're saying 
And it's telling me something about you that in turn sends a kind of a signal to me. Yeah, that that my nervous system can then pick up on. And it kind of tells me like, oh, I'm I'm okay too. This is a place of safety. Right. And so to think about that, the way that our voices sound, the prodsity of our voices has a lot to do with how we relate. And Mm -hmm. so you heard that shift in my tone here. Yeah. And so if I were to turn to my husband after having gone through some of that somatic work, I probably would have turned to him with a really different tone than if I turned to him before with the example I gave of what's the matter, right? So like the tone there would have changed and our ears pick that stuff up. Like that's what we're talking about. The 11 million bits of information per second. It's all of that stuff. It's like, what's the, what's the shift in the tone of my voice? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I have such a funny story about that, actually, because yeah. it's ab- about making it conscious. Um, I, my my wonderful partner is not uh, from the U.S. originally, and she has this thing where she'll go. I'm probably not even going to get the tone exactly right, but but when I'm talking, she'll do a like a hmm, uh, you know, one of these little mouth sounds that. To me, every time I hear it, it's like, well, the old story was, you're doubting me. Like, uh-huh. you, you're, you're, it's like, it sounded like an incredulous noise or a, or a, really, you think so? And I would get all worked up by it and go into exactly the same tumble that you were yeah. describing. And then we moved here to her home country, Austria, and everyone around here does it. And it's just... It's just part of the language. It's a little like, it's more like, mm-hmm, right? It's more like uh-huh. in English, how we just say like, yeah, keep talking. I'm listening. And What a perspective was, shift. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh my so gosh. Totally like your Sudoku story that like, it was that moment where I couldn't not see it. Yeah. It's not where the work began, but it's, it was like this step in the work where like, okay, now I know it. Now I get to practice it. Right, right. Right, because every time she does it, there's still this little twinge in me that, like, it's the old thing that I've practiced all my life of, of being braced for being doubted and or being, you know, not taken seriously. But there's also the part of me that's like, okay, take the twenty seconds, yeah, because because you you have new information now, and yeah, 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 and like that's the beautiful part for me, right? Like I. Because I find this to be like completely revolutionary. Okay, totally. so you're you're in a thing with your partner. You're in a thing with your colleague. You're in a thing with your friend, whoever it is, right? What's it really going to cost you to pause for that 15 seconds and just yeah. check in? Like, what's the cost there? Yeah. Might I, and, and might there be something for you to benefit from doing that? Right. Yeah. Right? So like we, we talk about, we go through this work. And I like to think of it kind of like um, circles in two different directions at the same time, mm-hmm. right? So in one spiral, we're kind of spiraling outward. So it's from the center of me towards the rest of the world, towards all these relationships. And on the other one, I'm spiraling from the outside in. And when I'm spiraling from the outside in, I'm moving from all of these relationships back towards the center of me. And these are happening yeah. at the same time. And so when I think of that, that's kind of what I think this work is. It's like I exist in the context of relationships and the context of the relationships I'm in 
exist inside of the context of my like uh, unconscious stories, the stuff that I'm holding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And some of the stuff that I'm holding, I don't even understand. I'm just doing it because it's what the people who raised me did, because it's what the people who raised them did, because it's what the people who raised them did. And like, none of it's really digested. And so essentially I'm replaying regurgitated stuff over many generations. Yeah. So when I pause, I'm giving myself permission to notice it. And yeah. Well, I'm, I'm noticing that I'm taking not a devil's advocate position, but like a go for it. I'm I'm sort of purposefully asking some of the the more painful questions yeah. today to hear your answers. So with that caveat, I'm like, it sounds so heavy mm-hmm. when you say it too. There, it, there's that like. Yeah, there's a real weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In realizing that you're carrying all this stuff. Yeah. Right? From all of these people before you. Yeah. And like I think sometimes the fear of pausing for those 20 seconds is actually I I don't know if I want to feel that heaviness. Uh-huh. Like like, like, can can I, re- if I, if I stop moving, can I stand there and hold it? Yeah. And oh gosh. Grief avoidance is really real. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and I think, um, it, it's, it's what colors a lot of our experiences, at least here in the West, it, it, it colors a lot of our experiences of how we walk culturally through life. Yeah. We don't want to feel hard things. Mm -hmm. We don't want to feel the heaviness. We don't want to be accountable or hold responsibility for what those who came before us did. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, yeah, there, there's, there's, that's grief avoidance and it's real. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do we, this is such a, it's like such a basic and such a big question, but like, Mm -hmm. so how do we come out of that? How do we gently yeah. Like, yeah. like maybe we could just start by noticing that that's grief avoidance. Just that. Like, can we just right. bite, take off that bite-sized piece? I don't need you to take everything. But like, can we just notice that there are times where the world just feels heavy? Yeah. Can we notice that there are times when the world yeah. is heavy? Yeah. Right? Can we notice that there are times where our ancestors may have perpetrated something or mm-hmm. been um been oppressed in some ways and neither one feels good and that actually we probably have histories of both yeah all of us in our in our families right, right? that we've that the more we dig the the less clear it gets that actually yeah. there's there's more yeah. pieces to hold the more coherent the story gets, yeah. the more complicated it tends to get. Right. Yeah. More coherent and yeah. more complicated. And I think maybe the question I was struggling to formulate before is like, not just how do we come out of that grief, but like, how do we, how do we do it in relationship? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we? Awkwardly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I think way? the answer is we use them awkwardly. And, and then I think we need to talk about shame. Yeah, shame is really the piece I'm thinking of, right? <laughs> yeah. And and so when I think about shame, 
You know, I, I lean into Terry Reel's model here. Um, but there are many that came before Terry, right? Just like there are many that came before all of us. We all have kind of ancestors. And yeah. so one of Terry's ancestors is Pia Melody and Pia Melody had ancestors. And like there, there's lineages even to this work. So I'm just kind of holding all of this. But the, the piece here, <clears throat> that shame is a version of I'm not, I'm not good enough as opposed to I did something that wasn't so great. Yeah. It's there's something the matter with me. Right. And so when we're in that place, we're in this place of being disempowered. We're in this place of kind of like contempt being turned in toward disgust, being turned inward towards ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And when we go into the depth of that and we're really working with that shame, what we might experience is actually, oh, you know what? There's an edge in there where if I get really, if I get into that shame, if I get into that place, I might actually want to launch it outward because it's more comfortable to explode out than to implode in. Hmm. Right? And so yeah. there's like the the context for how shame going one down, being disempowered mm-hmm. and uh grandiosity or false empowerment mm-hmm. or going one up. Right? In this kind of uh kind of cycle of power. Right, mm-hmm. false empowerment, disempowerment, one up, one down, power over, power under, is all kind of really the same thing, and we live in a very power over world. Yeah. Right. the The way out, and there is a way out. Mm-hmm. Right, is is through power with shared power with. Yeah. It's a perspective shift. It's a huge mm-hmm. perspective shift, and you know. Um, I don't know enough about the politics and about the world events that are happening right now, but Mm -hmm. I did just the other night catch a story that um, I don't think is getting enough media attention and it's kind of brilliant. Okay. So we know that there's a war going on between Russia and the Ukraine. Yeah. Well, apparently Russian soldiers are being offered by Ukraine um, what amounts to about 40,000 US dollars. Yeah. Right? Right. If they uh, walk away essentially from the Russian army and all they have to do when they surrender themselves is say the word million, Mm. right? Um, That's important because it's actually a story of shared power with, right? We don't want to take power over you. We don't want to end your life. We don't really, do you even know why you're here fighting us? Is it important to you that you do? Come, step away. We'll we'll try to help you reestablish yourself. Shared power with, as opposed to power over or power under. Reminds me of the conversation about calling in instead of calling out. Yeah. That's come up again and again in recent years. Very much. Yeah. Hey, I want to help you out. Right. And this is what we teach relationally. When I teach my couples how to have Mm -hmm. difficult conversations, what I'm teaching them how to do is to come at that conversation, not from a place of, I need to be right. Yeah. Right. Not from a place of, I need to control you, or you need to experience how bad this was for me, or I'm going to pull, right. Like not from those kinds of places that are what we call losing strategies, but from a place of how can I help you to help me? I, there's something I, I need do? here. What can I do to help you to help me? Because yeah. you might not even understand what it is I need. Yeah. 
So how can I help you to help me? And that's why I think what I'm seeing happening with Ukraine making this offer towards mm-hmm. Russian soldiers feels so much akin to this relational work. How can yeah. I help you to help me? It's not coercion. No. It's not saying, you know, come over to our side or we'll kill you. No. Nope. Or you have to do this. It's, it's. How can I help you to help me? How can I help you to help? Yeah. Yeah. We can offer this. Yeah. Would you take it? Are you willing to take it? Yeah. Which is, it brings up uh, the word boundaries for me. Uh-huh. And, and uh, right? And yeah, and I, I see you're like totally with me, but um, yeah, yeah. You know, just to spell it out, right? We often think of boundaries as, as telling people what they can or can't do to me. And that's actually controlling, right? That that's is coercive. We, we, we don't actually have the ability to tell us, like, I can't say we to can't. you, Al, don't say that thing to me because yeah. you may say it or not say it, right? And yeah. I can't say that to you. But what I can say is if you say that to me again, I'm going to end this this conversation. Right. Right? I can talk about what I'm going to do on my side of the street. Right. Right? So if if you leave that army, I will give you this money. I will offer you shelter. Exactly. Right? I can talk about what I can do. Yeah. And then you make your decision because yeah. you're an independent person. Right? It reminds uh, me that like yesterday. Yeah. Um the mask mandate dropped in my kids' schools uh, just yeah. yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. And so like last week or Sunday or something, we had had a family meeting. We had a conversation around the dinner table and it was like, okay, so here's what things are and what are you going to do, right? We're, we're here to help you figure this out. But my kids are, are uh, preteens and teens. Yeah. It's your job to figure it out now, right? And so- So I think this is really central, right? That when we're raising young humans to become adults, right? That our work is to help them learn who they are, not to impose who we are on them. And their job as they get older, as they become adults, is to be true to themselves, not to please their ancestors. Yes. And you know, for a second, my head goes to the ancestors, right? To to my parents or any parent who, of course, has expectations of what their kid is going to be like, right? Uh, we all, any relationship we get into, we we go in with some picture of how this is going to be. Of course. And, and that's human. Yeah. Of course we do it. Um, and of course... We want to be pleased by our kids or, yeah. or by our other relationships. And it's kind of hard to let go of that. It think, is, but it's yeah. also exciting to let go of it. Like just last yeah. night, yeah. I I said to um, to my youngest, okay, it's time to get ready for bed. And their reply to me was, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I, my husband and I looked at each other and he's like, did they just say no to you? And I was like, Uh Uh-huh. And I just sat there kind of smirking and taking that in. And the reason I was celebrating it, because that's what I was doing. I was celebrating their no, right? Was because this this is a human who is really wanting to please people in the world. Yeah. And here with me, they were like embodying that agency and taking root in that space and just saying like, no, I don't want to go to bed now. No. Right? And 
there, there was room for flexibility. I didn't have to impose myself over them in that moment. There was time just to take in like, yeah, sweetie, I hear that you don't want to go to bed right now. Right. Right. Okay. Let's negotiate this. Right. Right. Her no is, is her saying her boundaries. Yes. Right. And then you, it's not the end of the conversation. No, it's the beginning. It's the beginning. Right. Like when I, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say like, we just, we, us in particular could probably have another two hour conversation about then how that conversation could go. Right. Totally. But, But I think actually that, that might be part of it too, is that when we hear a no, we think of it as, as the other kind of boundary, the wall, the the, yeah. the controlling. And but what if the no yeah. is actually the portal that allows us to say yes to the things that matter? What if yes, the no yes. is actually like, well, I know what brings me pleasure and that's not it. Like if, yeah. you know, like, because if I can't voice that no, yeah. then what other no's can't I voice? Yeah. Right? Like it is so important that we all can say no. Because when we don't say no, and this comes from Pia's work, Mm -hmm. when we can't say no, and and, or when we don't say no, we end, especially in the places where we would want to say no, we end up carrying resentment. Yeah. Right? And that isn't um, conducive to really secure healthy relationships. Because Mm -hmm. if I'm walking around with that resentment in me from the times I didn't say no to you, Mm -hmm. then I'm not actually like... A, I'm not with you in the moment because I'm with you in all those past moments. I didn't get to say no. And the resentment that I'm carrying is heavier on my back. You want to talk about heaviness. There are ways that we continue to put more heaviness on ourselves. And there are ways where we start to liberate ourselves from that heaviness. Yeah. Right. It's not all from our ancestors. We also contribute to our own baggage. That's the thing, right? (laughs) Like, so when we start to see, like, these are the old historical patterns Mm -hmm then I can be aware of how I am either contributing to them now, how am I replaying them now, or how am I liberating myself from them now? Right. What, what yeah. parts are serving me? Cool, keep them coming. And yeah. what parts are actually inhibiting my relationships? Oh, maybe I don't want to keep doing those things. Right. Right? Just because my mother said yes all the time doesn't mean that I have to. I love that you said parts. I've been lately uh, so influenced by the the work of Richard Schwartz mm-hmm. and uh, internal family systems, where we talk about our parts. Our parts are all trying to help. They are. Right? They really, really are. They love us, and they so want much. they want to support the system. And they've learned to do it one way because my mother did it this way or because I had to do that in order to manage a certain kind of situation. Right. So many of those parts. Yeah. Yeah. So many of those parts are adaptations that formed to increase our safety, to increase our well-being, to increase our justice or to decrease our suffering. Yeah. And that same part can learn to do it differently. Right. That, That part has some skills. And they're using them in one way that's not so helpful right now. But those same skills, whether it's it's the helping people feel comfortable or the um, I don't know the uh, the taking control yeah. of a situation or yeah, I'm not going to come up with the. Best I think what you're right trying now, to say there, though, yeah. Al, is that those parts we can come into different relationship with them, yeah. right? When exactly. when they when when we're kind of functioning from um, 
those adaptations. Often what's happening is we're in like a whoosh. We're in mm-hmm. a... Um, in a kind of you and me consciousness, you versus me consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you do this, then the cost to me is, or if I I need to so that you don't, right? Mm-hmm. And that that's culturally a lot of what we live inside of. Yeah. And the shift is if I can shift into what will serve us both, right? Into like an us or a we consciousness. Yeah. It really changes the story. There is no win-lose. It's just, we're really looking for a win-win here. And that happens on all of these different levels. It happens with my significant other, but it also happens within me, right? Yes, yes. Like going back to shame and uh, and even boundaries in a way. You know, so many of my people come to me saying like, how can I get rid of this part of me? Mm-hmm. Or I don't like this about myself, right? Yeah. Which, which yeah, comes from such, from such pain. From such pain. And... and- yeah. The work I think is about learning how to embrace that part. Yeah. Like, where did that part come from? Yeah. And maybe it's not serving you right now, but that doesn't mean it's because the part is bad. It's because mm-hmm. it's 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 adapted in a way that's not that that doesn't apply anymore. It's yes. doing a job that that isn't helping. Necessary right now. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But it but the part still has value and it still has skills and it can learn to do something new. Totally. Right. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it, um, I mean, you might be borrowing some of this, but I, yeah. I'm thinking of Richard Schwartz's book, no bad parts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, like it, it really kind of brings this home that these parts have shown up in this way to help us adapt to the world. Yeah. And our work is to kind of step into the wisest, best part of ourselves, which is the part that is going to just kind of welcome all of these parts home. Yeah. Yeah. The self. Yeah. The self. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's the hardest part of this work because to really be in relationship doesn't Mm -hmm. just mean how do we show up in those Hollywood-esque type relationships with, you know, long Mm -hmm. walks at moonlight on the beach with our lovers. But it actually means that we have to be in relationship with all parts of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the heaviness. That's the part Mm -hmm. that I think so many of us try to avoid. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you have to embrace these parts in order to help them transform. That's right. Right. You can't transform them and then start to love them. Mm-mm. It has to be the other way around. Yeah. yeah. And and there's not just parts that have formed an ad- adaptation. There's mm-hmm. also parts that we have inherited. Right. Right? So that could be, you know, that professor that I had in grad school or my fourth grade teacher or my grandparent or the ancestors I never knew. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That That there are some inherited parts inside of us too. Yeah. And some mm-hmm. of them... Let's not just like put this all in the heavy category. Some of them teach us so much about resilience and survival. And the truth is that everybody that's here and all the generations that have come before us that have, that have survived, like Mm -hmm. those adaptations have served them well. Yeah. We're here because they all survived. Yes. Right. Yay. (laughs) So we have to have something going for us. Totally. Right. And we build on that resilience. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the more you can enjoy those things about yourself, the more room there is 
to embrace more parts of you. Right. right? To bring right. them into the fold, like you were saying. Yeah. yeah. And then as I can start to embrace more of those parts within myself, then when similar parts show up in you or in mm -hmm. my partner or in, <laughs> yes. right, I'm less likely to push back against them because mm -hmm. oftentimes what's happening in relationship is I'm getting reactive to something inside of whomever else I'm in relationship with that yeah. is reminding me of a part of me that I can't embrace. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have a funny story coming to mind about exactly this. Uh, you know, so that, that part is sometimes talked about like the, sh as the shadow, right? Yeah. That's, um, like Jung and some of Jung, the other yeah. Uh, and so I, I was, um, I was in training with Dr. Diane Austin, who's a music psychotherapist in New York. And she gave us an assignment. You know, we were all, uh, music therapists, people who, who have musical training, but that's not really what the story is about. Right. And she said, come in next week with a song that like with your shadow song to play for the group that that is totally not you in music right not that not just music that you hate but like ooh, i don't i'm not that person ooh, right yeah yeah that, and there's this sort yeah. of revulsion and i and and it was like so much fun that next <laughs> week to come in and everyone was, yeah, and, and to perform and sing these songs for other people. And, and I think like when, when you learn how to play a piece of music, I don't know, it's just, it's like getting to know someone really well. It's like you end up finding the like. Yeah. Um, and you realize, oh, they're like, or maybe you don't even exactly like it, but you realize they're, okay, I actually, I'm kind of good at, at, like this one particular thing about it, or um, there's this unexpected way that I relate to it, or this chord change is kind of fun, or whatever it is, and you, like, you realize, oh, this is not actually that different from me. It just didn't feel okay to go there. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you could do it with listening to music. You could, you could. I'm so curious, yeah. once you go there, what's the flavor? What's the feeling? Like what have, what shifts inside of you once you go there? Once you learn that, like I'm, I'm imagining some kind yeah. of like liberatory kind of experience, but I'm, I'm curious what you experienced. Well, I'll share the song I chose was uh, Megan Trainer's All About That Bass. <laughs> <laughs> right? Which, uh, yeah. Yeah. And what it, actually what it was, was playful. It yeah. was so playful. I mean, and the song, it's actually, I mean, I think the message in that song was wonderful. The shadow for me wasn't in, in, in her, in her explicit message, but in sort of the kind of in her playfulness in a certain kind of playfulness. Yeah. 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 That but that was the hard part. It was the yeah. hard part for you to embrace ahead of time, but yeah. then having embodied it, there was something yeah. different about it. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Or maybe the assertiveness too. Like some some parts of me that did don't want to put it all out there. Like she yeah. does in that song, right? Oh, so, so fun. Yeah. So I got to just play with that. And it's like it's not too heavy because it's not really all about me. It's in a song. It's someone else's song. But also I get to have this experience of like, hey, you know, it's not so bad to just accept yourself in this assertive and playful way like and there's something to like about it
Yeah. Um, I'm sitting here right now hearing you talk about this, Al, thinking, you know, that heaviness that you were talking about before that you were asking me about, like, yeah. This is such a beautiful example that you're offering of how what we perceive to be so heavy isn't always really heavy. Yeah, exactly. You know, like sometimes when we can give ourselves permission to kind of sink into it or explore it, like the heaviness is actually the unknown. The heaviness is actually like, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know that I'm going to be okay. But when we can actually like be with the process yeah. It's often not so heavy and very enlightening. Right. Right. And isn't that what therapy is about? Mm-hmm. Sort of what growth a, is about, like relationships totally in general. Growth. Right. Yeah. Like when I when I think about my marriage to my husband, yeah. we've been married now for about 16 years together for probably 20. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I broke up with him a few times in there. <laughs> <laughs> he stuck around. Um rupture and repair. <clears throat> Tons, right? But really, I don't wasn't so much rupture and repair. I'll I'll just the little aside. I think it was more um I wasn't really ready for a relationship that could feel okay. And so I kept getting scared of what felt okay. Um, but the truth is that the longer we're in a relationship, the more we go through evolution. So the person I'm married to now is really different than the person I met. And I'm really different than the person that he met, right? Like we are not the same people now. We're not in the same relationship now that we were 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's, yeah. we're, we're in a different relationship, still the same person, but a different right. relationship. And you can argue, are we even still the same people? Like we have grown and changed and we will continue to grow and change. And that's right. what relationships are about. Yeah. Yeah. And... And when you talk about that, like finding out that something is okay, and I guess I I said therapy, but it's right in any, why does it happen in therapy? Because that's a safe relationship, just like, just like a place your marriage or your romantic relationship can get to. It's that, okay, I can take a little tiny risk here. Yeah. I, I can, I can, for 20 seconds, find out if this is okay and then take it in. And say, oh, for 20 seconds, it was fine last uh-huh. time. Maybe I'll try it again. Is it still going to be okay again? Right. Um, and, yeah. and that little just kind of like orienting to like, is it okay? Is yeah. it okay? Is it okay? Yeah. That's how we're actually retraining our nervous system. Yes. Right? So mm-hmm. that over and over again, we need to take in the information like, oh, that was okay. And so that's mm-hmm. why like my one big piece of advice for everybody that's listening. Yeah. Is be awkward. Ah. Uh, Right. Like that's where we come back to it. Like it's okay to take that 15 to 20 seconds. It might feel awkward. Yeah. But that's and it's actually not that long. Yeah, yeah, it's really not. It feels really long when you're in it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that a good place for us to wrap up? I think so. Thank you so much, Al. This was such a delicious conversation. I hope to do this uh, again. Oh, I would love to. Thank you for asking me. It was yeah. really, really fun. Yeah. I wonder if maybe we should just put out an invitation to our listeners that mm-hmm. um, if they've enjoyed this conversation and they have more questions, that maybe they could write in with those questions and you can bring them into a future interview with me. We can do this on the regular. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That would be really fun. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Let's do yeah. it. Okay. Okay. Sweet. All right. right. Take care, everyone. Be awkward. Bye.
Yeah. Bye-bye. Learn more about my counseling practice, intensives, and online workshops over at connectfulness.com. And if you haven't already, check out our sister podcast, Why Does My Partner? Why Does My Partner tackles questions from listeners who want help in relationship. These questions, your questions, send them in, are relationship gold. They echo the conversations that take place over and over again in our therapy offices and take us deep into conversations around the skills that are right at the heart of relationship intimacy, greater health, and fulfillment. Jules, Vicky, and I also offer essential skills relationship boot camps. You can learn more about those at whydoesmypartner.com. You can listen to this podcast wherever you get your audio. We'd love if you follow and subscribe to the show, share it with those who may also be interested. I want to express my deepest gratitude to the musicians behind the beautiful soundtrack, for this podcast, Sarah and Chris Ferris, who recorded and mixed this music at Kidney Stone Studio. And thank you, dear listeners. It's such a pleasure to be on this journey with you. This podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, and it's copyrighted by Connectfulness Counseling. And we'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram over at Connectfulness. Take care and be well. Until next time. Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com events.